0: The Sexually Liberated Woman podcast gets love from Chakrabs. Shock Chakrabs shock makes beautiful handcrafted sexual wellness products from 100% pure crystal. Crystals are a natural, earth made material that help to awaken higher levels of consciousness, work through emotional imbalances, and heal deep core wounding. Take all of that, put it in sex toy form, and you've got yourself a mighty orgasmic tool. I have my own chakra that's made of 100% rose quartz, which is this really beautiful soft pink colored crystal that helps me cultivate self-love, opens my heart chakra, and heightens my capacity to feel pleasure. And my orgasms are incredible. So if you want to bring sacredness and a little witchiness to your erotic life, head to shockrubs.com and use the code LIBERATION to get 10% off your purchase. That's C-H-A-K-R-U-B-S dot com, promo code LIBERATION. And may your orgasms be plentiful. everyone welcome to the sexually liberated woman podcast I'm Evian Whitney and before we get into today's episode I just wanted to say thank you to everyone who sent over love and prayers and solidarity after hearing my last episode the last few weeks were so intense but I'm feeling much much better these days And I know it has a lot to do with the support and encouragement I've been getting from my community. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you. Okay, I'm really excited to bring you today's episode because I'm introducing a new series that I'll be sharing with you periodically. It's called Sex with Friends, and it's going to feature super chill and light sex talks that I have with some of my in real life faves. We're going to be talking about their sexual origin stories, their current erotic identities. We're going to be reminiscing about their awkwardness and obliviousness about sex. And we're also going to be laughing a lot. That's actually one of the main reasons I loved this upcoming conversation with my friend Ida. We laughed so much that my cheeks were burning, which, after a really hard month, was much needed. So about my friend Ida, whose preferred pronouns are they, them, by the way. I met Ida a year ago at Lesbian Summer Camp, also known as A-Camp. They and I were in a cabin together called The Beehive, and we bonded quickly over shared sex positivity, polyamory, and some killer dance moves. Ida has been a part of my chosen family ever since, and what I love most about Ida is their openness and authenticity. Even though we haven't known each other very long, I feel so comfortable with Ida that I can tell them anything and won't feel weird doing so. And this is, I know, what makes Ida an incredible therapist, which is what she does. So we chatted about a lot of fun things, like how baby Ida learned about sex within their sort of strict Jehovah's Witness Latina upbringing. We talked about body positivity and Tumblr, and we also talked about Ida's current sexual identity, which includes polymorphous perversions, queerness, and of course, glitter. Enjoy listening to us dish, and hey, stick around till the end. I have a little surprise for Ida. So, Ida, tell me about your first memory
2: of sex or sex energy. So the first thing that comes to mind, and this is the thing with a lot of questions that relate to firsts, I don't know if these were actually the first things. These are just the first things that come to mind. Yeah. Um, One thing that really, really, really stands out to me is um, when I used to watch movies with my parents. There are like two memories. One, when I used to watch movies with my parents... And like a sexy scene would come on, they would ask me to close my eyes or leave the room. Mm-hmm. Um, so I remember, you know, knowing that these things were not appropriate for a child of my age. And I was just like a little kid. Um, and the other yeah, thing—yeah, how old were you? I'm trying to think. I I feel like that kind of avert your eyes continued on for a while, um, but probably like five to eight or ten or something like that. So there's, um, there's that. And then there was this memory of a book that I got at a, like a school fair. We were doing this thing called family day. And if you put in, you know, dollars to this raffle, you could like draw a little number from a bag. And if you drew a blank number, or sort of a blank piece of paper, you would just get like a random little prize. But if you drew a number, um, you would get whatever prize was numbered with that. And I got this book that was about sex, which I don't think was what? super appropriate. But I don't, you know, I, I'm very confused. I don't know how this book kind of like slipped through the cracks. It was a book in English. And, you know, I grew up in Puerto Rico, so that wasn't our first language. But it was this book in English about a little cartoon heart going through I guess its life cycle um, and it had you know it had stuff about sex in it because I definitely rem- remember the word orgasm I definitely remember the word lust and I was just very disturbed I like
1: Whoa. was like
2: what is this book I eventually showed it to my mom and then I was like so upset at it that I um, ripped it up into little pieces and just threw it away <laughs> after reading it the first time and feeling uncomfortable I was just like get this this needs to go how did your mom react when you showed her this book i honestly don't remember i know that she didn't you know she didn't approve she probably was kind of confused about what the heck this book was it wasn't you know visually explicit it was like little cartoons and it was little doodles of like a heart or something and i've never been able to figure out what book this was who wrote it who illustrated i have no recollection of of anything that would be helpful in finding this book again But if any, you know, if any listeners know what the heck this little book about a heart and, uh, you know, invoking orgasm and lust (laughs) is all about, please (laughs) let me know because I've been curious. (laughs) She was disapproving. And I think she was like, hey, you should throw it out. And I, you know, uh, being the overachiever, I was like, I'm going to throw it out. I'm going to rip it. I'm going to rip it into tiny pieces and throw it out.
0: Oh, my gosh. Okay, so from reading that book, what did you think sex was without really knowing what sex was.
2: I've been journaling since I was about six years old. So I remember writing about a bunch of stuff and sex coming into the picture, um, or like sexuality rather coming into the picture, mostly through the idea of kissing or touching before it was, ah, yes, these are, these are ways to have sexual intercourse. Um, But I, you know, what I do remember is that my parents were always pretty forthcoming about sex, very specific kinds of sex, you know, heterosexual sex within marriage. Those were the kinds of sex that were acceptable. But within that paradigm, like they definitely thought sex was beautiful and really important and they weren't ashamed to talk about it. Uh, So the idea of sex being this dirty, bad thing was not really part of my upbringing, but the kinds of sex that I have now definitely were <laughs> not seen as appropriate and we can get into that later. <laughs> yeah. So
0: tell tell me about your first sex talk then. Like I'm curious to hear about that because like my my upbringing around sex was so incredibly shaming and there's a lot of baggage around it, lots of religious stuff coming up around it. I didn't really have a lot of... Uh, I don't know, openness about sex. So the sex talk that I had was really awkward and weird. I'm curious about how your first sex talk was with your parents or whoever it was that gave you the sex talk.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. um I, I think that part of the sex talks were prompted by just talking about bodies in general. I remember around fourth or fifth grade, um, we got some sex talks at school that were really about like periods and, you know jock straps and you know (laughs) body development and puberty and so my parents followed up with you know their own information and they'd already been talking to me about this stuff and bodies you know before fourth and fifth grade Um, they insisted on using correct terminology uh, and medically accurate terminology when I was growing up for like the vagina the penis the breasts and so it was kind of just an extension of these conversations flowing into each other Um, I recall my parents giving me a book Called it's a girl thing, and I'm and I'm I think it's like Mavis Jukes who's the author or something like that, and it it talked about puberty, it talked about sex, it talked about what oral sex was. Oh wow, which I clearly did not know what it meant <laughs> before reading it, um, but I'd heard you know, I'd heard stuff from the media and like this was also around the time when. Uh, the whole thing with Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky was going on too. And so the, you know, I I had questions. I didn't know exactly what was going on. So, you know, a lot of the conversations were through um, one-on-ones or you giving me resources that I could read on my own. Um, But again, there was never, there was never shaming of sex as long as it was within a context of marriage and heterosexuality. And they were very firm on that. Like they, they didn't want me to grow up thinking that sex was bad, sex was good, but as long as it followed certain parameters.
0: So there, it doesn't sound like there was like one big talk, like it was Mm -mm. a series of like small little talks and like little nudges that your, your family gave you about it.
2: Yes. Yes. And you know, they, they made themselves really open to questions. So if there were specific questions that I had, I could always go to either of my parents And they would be totally happy to talk about it.
0: That's amazing. I love hearing these stories about people who are raised in like, I don't know, households that are more open and open minded about sex. I mean, obviously, your family had some pretty rigid ideas about sex because it was like, you know, had to be straight sex with your husband or wife or whatever, Um, which mine was like that too. But like there wasn't that sense of openness. It was almost like an unspoken
2: thing for us. Mm -hmm. So I'm always really interested in hearing other people's stories about it. Yeah, for sure. And like that, that openness has continued. And, you know, obviously it has changed as my identity has changed. But, you know, I have, I've had some really funny conversations with my parents. And there were times as a teenager or even as a college student that I would go out with my parents to like the grocery store or Kmart or whatever And they, you know, I would notice that there were condoms in, you know, our caddy. And I was like, hey, mom, good job. That's excellent. You're still doing the thing. (laughs) Um, So it was like humorous and it was seen as a part of uh, a healthy marriage. And it wasn't, it wasn't like, oh, hush, hush, she can't see the condoms, you know. That's amazing. That's
0: really amazing. So you, you, you mentioned your sexual identity. When did you feel like your sexual identity started to form?
2: Hmm. I feel like I was in some way sexual or had sexual thoughts from a very young age. When I was little, I would say like seven or eight, honestly. Um, i there were certain you know body parts that felt nice to touch. I would totally try to kiss a bunch of my friends and it was it was a lot of like youthful exploration. So I had some friends who brought sexual games up. And we're like, oh, like, what if I, you know, what if this game involves like kissing on the lips and like, let's practice. Um, So that definitely happened. And that was something that I didn't freely tell people for many years because I felt really weird about it. I was like, oh, was that okay? And I'm like, actually, a lot of people experiment as kids and it's really normal. And the only reason some people think it's weird is because they don't know how common it is and how a part of youth sexual development, it can be people think like, oh, yes, only, you know, teenagers have sexual interests or desires. And actually, sexuality is this lifelong thing totally um, that, you know, is different based on the age that you are, obviously. And we have to think about consent and age appropriateness. But to think that little kids don't find pleasure in, you know, sometimes touching certain body parts or doing things like that, I think is is misguided and uninformed, honestly.
0: Yeah. And I mean, this idea that we aren't curious. I don't know. I just I remember feeling this sense that like, it wasn't okay to be curious. It wasn't okay to Mm -hmm. like, know your body and to like, to touch your own body. And like, and that's why I loved playing games like that, like seven minutes in heaven, or (laughs) like spin the bottle. I mean, those games were like, permission slips for me to be like, okay, so within this particular safe space like we can explore and we can play and then like after we leave this room or after we stop playing this game like you know it's 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 done like we can just walk away
2: and also just looking at how culture and media messages and family messages seep in and change that kind of curiosity or how we look at that curiosity because again I'm, I'm thinking of you know when I was like seven eight nine and I you know I was curious and I played certain games with people that felt fine and I didn't have shame about. And then years later, I, I developed worries about them or shame or like had, in part because of religion, had thoughts about those being wrong or that, you know, sex was maybe a bad thing. I was raised Jehovah's Witness. And so ideas of, the, you know, ideas about what was appropriate came into play there, too, once I had sort of <laughs> more brain capacity to interpret messages from the media <laughs> Um And so sometimes we, you know, we start off with really innocent curiosity and then we get all these messages layered on top of it and it gives us a very different perspective of, you know, what we want, what we were doing and what that even means.
0: Totally. So like what was your sexual identity or what did you think your sexual identity was from these experiences that you were having that you were being curious about?
2: I don't think I thought about it too hard when I was really little, and I use my journals as a as a guidepost here because, you know, I used to write a lot, and so that gives me an that gives me insight into what I was thinking. So I remember, you know, talking about some of these explorations, but not really putting a value judgment on it, not thinking that it had anything to do with my sexual identity or development, just being like, it's a thing that is happening, and blah blah blah, Um, and then at the same time. You know, thinking that, you know, gayness was wrong, and having very specific views on that, knowing that like gay people were probably fine, but gayness was not okay, mm-hmm. um, and and somehow not making the connection <laughs> between, hello, you are sometimes playing these games with girls, and you are also presumably a girl, so what is that? Like I didn't, I didn't make those connections, so I was able to to be doing things and not. Um Not judging myself for it, I guess, for some unknown reason, and then later, uh when I was probably in like eighth or ninth grade, then actually starting to think about you know what are my interests, what does this mean in a larger context, and sort of that's when I feel like my sexual identity started to to grow and shift beyond I have a crush on a boy, and I'm a girl, and it's great. When did you have your first girl crush? I didn't have my first girl crush until probably 11th grade. And and so I, I, that depends on how you define it. So I didn't find a girl in person, a, like sexually attractive until 11th grade. But I knew I was interested in girls before then because of discussions with friends and honestly, because of porn too. Um, and I didn't have my first like, romantic and sexual interest in a in another girl until I was in college and then I was like, "Oh wow." <laughs> yes. I was like, "I would like to kiss you and also bring you flowers." This is more intense than I expected. Oh my gosh.
0: So like, so you you mentioned that you were raised Jehovah's Witness. Mm-hmm. What kind of beliefs did you grow up believing understanding about sex and
2: sexuality
0: because of those beliefs
2: um you know sex within a specific context was cool and again married and heterosexual masturbation was not that was not a good thing um another interesting thing about growing up as a Jehovah's Witness is that there was this book called Young People Ask and, I, and I'm translating it from Spanish so maybe it's called something different in English but it was a book of you know, common questions that teens have and the biblical responses to them. So questions about drugs and dating and sex and marriage and all of that. And in the book um, and as well as in the religion, you know, group dates is what was allowed. Like you were discouraged, heavily discouraged from going on solo dates with people because they could turn into something more and, you know, Staying away from sinning is a goal, usually in many religions. Uh, so, you know, group dates were a way to avoid avoid that. Um, and masturbation was also seen as negative, or at least the way that I interpreted the scripture was that it was seen as negative. And, yeah, there was not that much talk about gender roles beyond a pretty narrow view. And that's also where my family was really interesting. Like, they have very traditional and conservative views about some things, and then other things they're pretty progressive about. So it's this like weird hodgepodge. Um, it's not as easily definable, I guess, as like, yes, they are conservative, or yes, they are liberal. Yeah. So it was kind of, it was kind of like a hodgepodge of, of beliefs about all those things in gender and sexuality.
0: And how did you navigate your sexual identity within those pretty strict rules of like, only doing group dates and masturbation being wrong. Like, how was that for you?
2: Well, I kept, I did the masturbation thing. and just didn't care, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know how that happened. Um, well, part of, part of it is that at, um, at age 11 or 12, um, we started kind of growing wax with going to Kingdom Hall, which is the Jehovah's Witness version of church. Um, and so we kind of slipped away from the religion. And so I think that at the same time that, Puberty was hitting, and I was growing more thoughtful about the world as my brain development happened. We were also moving away from this, the scripture, and so it allowed me to understand and be exposed to things that, you know, I maybe wouldn't have or wouldn't have had without the, the the cloud of religion around it. And so that's why I think I was able to navigate it in a different way. Had you know, versus if we'd stayed in the church. And a lot of it had to do with the internet, honestly, and me making friends online and being able to have frank discussions about these things, things that I couldn't do with my friends in person, because I went to a very small school that like nursery to 12th grade was about 700, 750 students. And we all knew each other. And, you know, it was a very small universe. And so a lot of the discussions that I was able to have that were deeper were happening with people that I... Had never met in person, and some whom I still am in touch with, actually. Oh, that's awesome! I love that. But were you part of like Live Journal?
0: Heck yes! Because <laughs> I was totally doing that too, like looking on Live Journal threads about sex and sexuality. Because I couldn't have those discussions with my parents, and I certainly couldn't have them with my friends because they were just they were just as stupid and and
2: dumb about it <laughs> as I was. <laughs> yeah, definitely Live Journal. Um, I remember. Uh, deviant art was also a place where some oh my of that gosh, happened oh my gosh yes <laughs> oh you're taking me back and there uh, there is a, a role playing uh, forum called the white ferret which if any of you know Harry Potter that's a reference to Harry Potter Draco Malfoy <laughs> being turned into a ferret uh, that is I blame slash credit that forum with a lot of the friendships that I made where I was able to talk about sex to be honest
0: <laughs> so what was the weirdest thing you heard about sex from those forums?
2: Oh my god, I <laughs> I feel like that's also when my sort of goth phase started happening. <laughs> <laughs> so like the the like sex doesn't just have to be this fluffy romantic thing. It can have darker overtones. We can think about you know not just the narrative of cute little heterosexual couple going to prom like there are other stories that we can make so because there was harry potter involved we also talked about like magic and we also talked about like i don't know just like things beyond the the you know Ameri- like all american apple pie kind of sex which was really interesting and also really interesting because it was people from around the world so it wasn't it wasn't just folks from Puerto Rico. It wasn't just folks from the United States. I was making friends with people in Germany, in Australia, in the Netherlands, in Abu Dhabi, in Canada. And so all of us were coming to these conversations with different cultural backgrounds, with different family structures. And yet we were all still really invested in Building stories and you know openly talking about these things. So sex wasn't the main thing that we were talking about. You know we were really invested in plot and character development, but also, <laughs> but also you know there were there was some sexiness that we talked about there too, and uh, some of the friendships that came out of that became really meaningful, deep friendships where we would stay up till really late talking about school and our crushes and like sharing links to songs and you know. That's how I got introduced to a bunch of different artists and placebo as a band was really influential. I was like, like in the span of a year, I went from, oh my God, Brian Malko is bisexual and he has orgies (laughs) to cricket, cricket, wait, maybe I'm into that. Like in the span of a year or less, like a huge shift around eighth grade (laughs) happened. Oh my gosh.
0: I have to say, I love hearing about baby Ida. Like this is giving me so much joy.
2: (laughs) Baby Ida was ridiculous. Like I just got a box from my parents of old mementos. And I just, (laughs) it's funny to see how much things change and how much they don't. Um, And it's just, it's wild. It's wild. So I just support everyone documenting their life and then looking back and seeing how ridiculous we all were oh and how gosh. we still are probably ridiculous I have mad respect for you that you're even
0: going through these boxes because I have a giant box of like old stuff like old journals and stuff like that <laughs> and I'm too terrified to go through it because <laughs> I'm like <laughs> I don't know if I want to see all the stupid things that I was saying and like I was super boy crazy and it was just yes. really just lots of unrequited love and it
2: was just sad and I mean especially if there's trauma for folks that can be really hard but I also think that it's so full of potential for empathy that that's part of why I look at it and that's probably part of why I share some of that too because you know, looking at where I am now and my understanding of sex and gender and all of that, I'm like, wow, you went from this to that? Like, that's, that's a lot of shifting. That's a lot of growth. And so whenever I feel like the world is a horrible place full of horrible people, I can, I can look at narratives of change and I can look at, wow, look at how much growth happened just within myself. I know that this is possible for others and I know that this is possible for the world. So it gives me, both hope and also a sense of compassion whenever I deal with someone that has beliefs that don't align with mine and I feel are detrimental to my very existence I'm like you know th- I feel like change could happen or let me hold this compassion if I feel like they are trying and maybe you're just not there yet because I was also a, a dumb little shit as well <laughs> So, like, I need to not be a jerk all the
0: time, you know. Yeah. That was beautiful. And that makes me want to, like, dig in my closet and pull out my box of horrible journals and read
2: them.
0: (laughs) And maybe snap
2: them and show them to you. (laughs) Yes. I want to see all of it. (laughs) I mean, that's also, like, if we can have, you know, and again, I'm not saying, now everyone, please go to your live journal and expunge your entire record and, like. Yeah you know do whatever i'm i'm saying that if if we have safe spaces or people or context where we can share some of this i feel like there's a lot of demystifying that can happen and there are certain topics that we feel are taboo or are weird because we just don't know how calm they are and by telling our stories we can demystify some of that and be like oh yeah you also did this, or you were also curious about this, or, wow, I was not the only, like, weird 12-year-old thinking about whatever, whatever, Lord of the Rings sexual scenario, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah. What were some of the hardships or, like, challenging moments that you experienced as you were coming into an
2: adult sexual identity? Mm-hmm. I would say that one of them was just not being able to share as much with my family anymore. Um, Not that I speak for all Latino people, but as a whole, Latino cultures are very family oriented. It's a more collectivist view of the world than like white Anglo America. Um, And so, you know, I was very used to telling my mom pretty much everything and as I realized there were things that I was thinking or wanting or feeling that didn't work with her worldview, that didn't work with our family's values, I was like, well, I guess I got to keep this to myself. And that didn't feel great. And, you know, that is something that we're still working through, like how much we can share and and weaning my parents off of the expectation of I will share everything with you and. Um, so I, I know that that was pretty difficult. And the other part, I think, too, was developing a healthy sense of body image. Because I was raised, you know, in a culture where, and, and I guess in general, like our culture here in Puerto Rico or wherever, you know, has certain standards that not all of us fit in, you know, fit in with. And so as someone who, like, was always at the very least chubby, um, and was really pale where it wasn't, you know, cute to be super pale and, you know, had glasses and whatever, whatever. I look back, I'm like, you were fine, Ida. But at the time, like it never really felt fine. And so being able to grow more comfortable with my body and with, um, sort of all the things associated with it, I think that was, uh, a, a process and I credit, being in college with a lot of the developments in that arena. Um, and specifically, I was in a, in a co-ed fraternity where there were a lot of queer folks. There were a lot of folks who were really chill about nudity. And so being able to be around people where that was normal and that was encouraged and it wasn't weird was really, really amazing. Um, and seeing other people whose bodies looked like mine, being happy, being naked, I was like, wow, this is this is great. Like, I can do it too. I can be part of this. I can also have less shame and less um, worry about my body by just being in this group where that was more of the norm.
0: Yeah. What What kind of things did you do to, like, help you get more into a sense of body positivity? And not just, like, body positivity, but, like, owning your body and owning the space that you take up with your body?
2: Sometimes we would have, like, topless barn nights or, like, fully naked hangouts. Um, That's so cool. There was... <laughs> There was this thing called, like, a sauna. And, you know, obviously we don't have saunas in college, but we would, like, improvise a sauna. Wait, wait, wait. How did you improvise a sauna? (laughs) (laughs) So this was totally not within the rules of my college whatsoever. But anyway, um, we uh, would be in a bathroom, uh, in the dorm and we would close the door. We would put towels at the bottom of the door and we would let the showers and the sinks run with the hottest water possible. Oh my god! And so we would essentially create a sauna in there. That's genius. probably not the most environmentally friendly, yeah. but, <laughs> but it was a thing. We would just like sit and chat and like sometimes play cards or, you know, just whatever. Um, in this, in this like makeshift sauna. That's hilarious. So that was, you know, that was a big part of it. And honestly, um, just Tumblr too, that like I credit Tumblr with a lot of my more ingrained ability to find different bodies, beautiful and different, you know, cultures and races, beautiful in a, in a society that doesn't value that kind of diversity. Um, because I was able to meaningfully curate a stream of content for myself that was what I wanted it to be and what I aspired to. So instead of, you know, and this is like, you can use this for like not the most, not the healthiest purposes, but you can also use it to like transform your life. I would, you know, purposefully look at blogs that had a lot of curvy women in them. I would purposefully look for blogs that had a lot more people of color and by essentially giving myself a diet of different um, images and what I was accustomed to, I was able to transform how I felt about those just by sheer exposure. And I've actually had partners say to me, you know, by following your blog or by following your, like, sexy Tumblr, because I have, like, a million Tumblrs at this point, they're like, my interests have changed. Like, the the bodies that I find attractive have expanded. Hmm. Like, I used to have a pretty narrow idea of what I thought was hot, and that is, like, that is way bigger now. And it's it's because I've been exposed to it, because sometimes we just don't know, uh, you know, what we want or what we like, or we have a really narrow perspective. And if we if we see the capacity for joy and beauty and movement in other bodies and in other, you know, other ways, that is something that we can grow to, to also see and not just be like, well, I guess, theoretically, other bodies could be beautiful, but I don't see it myself.
0: Yeah, I love Tumblr. Tumblr is so I mean, it's it's so good for For so many different things. I mean, there's some bad pockets, of course, but like Mm -hmm. Tumblr has been like very transformative for me as I step into my own sexual identity as as an adult woman and my my blackness, like owning that and and owning my my queerness. And um, I think it's important that people know that there are places that you can go online, specifically Tumblr, that can give you a glimpse of bodies and sexualities that aren't often seen a lot of the times.
2: Yeah. And I think for any person who's in in an underrepresented group, that's also why I think there's so much power yeah. in living as openly as we can or as we feel safe doing. Because, like, again, not everyone can do it, should do it. This is not a directive. But, you know, I'm, I'm an educator and a speaker and whatever, but I'm also a therapist. And so we were talking about this earlier, that the boundaries of what we can share are very fuzzy and it, it's very tricky to figure out like what is okay to say, what is okay to say publicly, how will that impact our work and our clients and all of that in a profession that is essentially built for not sharing anything (laughs) and is built, uh, you know, from a very white heterosexual cis blah, 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 blah perspective that assumes you're never going to look like your clients. And it assumes you don't go to the same bars. It assumes you don't like the same music. And so um, it's it's very difficult to figure out what to share and not to share. But I believe very strongly in living as openly as possible just to, at the very least, show other people that they have options, that there's not just one way to be a person, not one way to be a queer person, not one way to be a non-monogamous person, and Building a sense of community through that, or even just, Hey, I know this human, and this is how they're living their life really radically and openly, and that's really great. Maybe this gives me ideas or exposes me to new lifestyles that I wouldn't have considered otherwise because of where I was or where I grew up, um so that's why I'm really invested in you know having transparent conversations and like. Being as authentic as I can and not being like, ah, oh, yes, me, who has no insecurities, who has no past, who has no, you know, whatever. Yeah.
0: I mean, you've been through this journey, right, of of figuring out who you are as a sexual person, like figuring out your sexual identity. What is your sexual identity today? <laughs> like what words and like phrases and colors and... I don't know. I imagined your sexual identity includes a lot of glitter. It, it, you are
2: correct. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know why
0: I said I imagine correct. that because I know that to be true. We have danced before. <laughs> I have seen the glitter fall out. So, yes, I know that it incorporates lots of glitter.
2: What else does your sexual identity incorporate? Oh my god! Quick tiny story before I even answer the question. Yeah. Um, so I've been I've been traveling a lot this summer, and um, I have a live-in partner, and they they don't have you know as as a as burning of an affection towards glitter as I do, but <laughs> it's it's amazing that I've I've been gone so often, and yet you know, they still keep finding glitter everywhere. <laughs> and they're like, Ida. it's like, you're not even gone. It's like, how did this glitter get in my nose? I do not understand. I'm like, I don't know, man. I don't know. It's magic. Uh, but anyway, so in terms of what words um, and things, I actually on my website on my about page, I have like a little section with some flags, which is my way of, you know, noting some of my identities, but uh, not necessarily using words, which I think is really, you know, Kind of interesting. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so in terms of words that fit and are part of my sexual identity, um, I'm Puerto Rican. And that is not what someone would normally say is like, this is part of my sexual identity, I guess. But for me, being a queer person of color and Latina specifically, like that is important to me. That really informs how I live my life and like who I look for um, as partners and what I look for. I identify as queer. I can use the word bisexual um, and that still feels authentic. It's not my favorite because queer feels m- more accurate. Um, but bisexual also works. Um, I identify as polyamorous. I identify as kinky. Um, in terms of gender, that's been an evolving process. So right now, uh, and actually for the last few years, probably. Um, I'm trying to think of how, how long I've been identifying as genderqueer, but... It's been, I'd say, like maybe like six years or so, maybe more. Mm. Um, but that's also been a journey. So other terms that I've more recently come to embrace um, are non-binary. I have mixed feelings about the term trans and if it applies to me or not, and we're still working through that. <laughs> so that's kind of a more recent term that I'm like grappling with. But those are some kind of those are some of the ones that. I think of, and also I was actually talking to another friend earlier today. There's this really fancy academic term, um, and I'm forgetting who the person who sort of coined it was. Um, but there's this idea of polymorphous perversity, um, and it's tell me, tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's uh, the the fancy definition is that it's a like general desire that can be um, like gratified in a lot of different ways. And that's like probably the Wikipedia version of it. Um, and so it's this idea that sexuality doesn't have to be a really narrow thing that you can get sexual gratification outside of traditional structures that it doesn't have to be. I am only attracted to, you know, heterosexual cisgender men and that you can find erotic joy in a lot of different places. And so, for example, um, there's a colleague uh, named Zalika Hepworth-Clark, who's doing a lot of this work, um, especially around African diasporic um, sexualities. Mm. That's really fascinating. And so she's been working on looking at, you know, what kind of sexual attractions and sexual experiences can we have outside the idea of even just human interaction. So like, one of the things that she talks about is sexual experiences with nature. And, you know, what, what does it look like? And what does it feel like to have an erotic charge to just basking in the sun? I was recently in the woods of New Hampshire, and I went to a place called Diana's Baths, And I went under a waterfall. And I was like, this feels pretty erotic. And uh, this feels great. And there's, you know, it is not related to another human it's just related to me and my body and how the water flows on me and that like that was really surprising i was like this feels this feels erotic and Mm. it's just me and a waterfall what what does that mean um (laughs) and so the idea of this polymorphous perversity is that you can you can be interested and gratified through the senses in a lot of different ways and it doesn't just have to be within the narrow confines of what you've been raised to believe is socially acceptable. I love that. That's amazing. (laughs) And I identify
0: with that as well.
2: Yeah. And like, that's a term that just like sometimes comes up. I'm like, yeah, I feel like there's a lot of ways that we can be sexually gratified. And again, you know, for me, it's really important to consider consent. Yeah. And, you know, ramifications of any kind of interaction. So I'm not just saying, yes, let's go off and be erotically charged with everything and anything, you know, indiscriminately, but that if we open up our minds to what other kinds of, you know, gratifying experiences we can have, we can, we can, we can, we can get more pleasure in our lives, you know, and not just sexual pleasure, but pleasure in general, and I think that that's really important, especially for people who, who may have trauma around specifically sexual pleasure. Like what other kinds of pleasure can you get for people who um, maybe have a chronic illness and their body is different than it used to be a few years ago? What kinds of pleasure can your body get? We're all, we all have the capacity for it. Um, and what does it look like in different bodies and in different lives?
0: Yes, I love all of that. And now I'm gonna like look up that word and see about maybe practicing some polymorphous perversion myself. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything that you would want to tell baby Ida about sex, about sexuality?
2: Oh man, yeah. Um you know, I, I don't really hold regrets. So I'm not, you know, I don't have anything to say like, oh Ida, don't do this, don't do that. Um but I feel like probably saying, hey, everything's going to be OK and you're going to be pretty badass and you're going to be doing things that maybe you didn't expect. You're going to be ways that you didn't expect, but to just go along for the ride because it makes sense and, and it, um, it's a good place that you're going to. And I would tell baby Ida or maybe college Ida that you're, you know. Your libido might change <laughs> and shift, especially when you go to grad school. And it's fine. That can happen, which I think can be a hard, a hard thing to grapple with for people who are sexual and have been sexual for a long time to have their libido suddenly shift or drop.
0: Yeah.
2: It can be kind of worrisome or scary or weird. And I just want to tell little Ida, like, it will all end up working out and you have the resources and the inner strength, as well as the outer strength, to get what you need and get what you need done. And you're going to be surrounded by really amazing, wonderful, loving people. And you're going to have such a wonderful community that will help you through all the ups and downs that, you know, just keep on the path that you're on. And you're going to get to some places that are really beautiful.
0: Okay, so before I let you go, I want to ask you a few rapid-fire questions. Cool. Describe your last orgasm in a word. Sleepy. If your sexual energy
2: were an animal, what would it be? Oh my God. Uh, that's a great question. I'm just going to say spotted hyena and we'll see. Maybe leave. You know what? Hold on. That was so specific. Not a regular hyena,
0: but a spotted one. I love it. You have to elaborate.
2: Well, it's a toss up. It's a toss up between a spotted hyena or what is it? Is it like a spotted slug? I don't know. There's a really amazing uh, slug sex video that I yes, need everyone to I've go look that. at immediately. I've seen that. That
0: is strangely erotic as fuck.
2: <laughs> yep. I think it's like leopard leopard slugs or something. So maybe a mix of... Um, le- you know what? I'm just going to go with the slugs. I'm going to go with leopard slugs. That's my sexual energy right now. Okay. I like it.
0: And knowing that you mentioned the slug video brings context to that because I would have been like, What? <laughs>
2: Yes, go watch the video. And yes, there's a lot about slug sex that applies to my life. Yeah, I'm going to see if
0: I can find it and put a link in the show notes so people can see it. It's kind of weird. Like when I tell people about this, I'm like, I don't know if this should be labeled not safe for work, but I don't know. <laughs> Just watch it at your own risk. Who are your erotic muses?
2: Ooh, erotic muses. That's such a great like question. I feel like... My friend, my first erotic muse is probably Brian Malko <laughs> uh, when I was in eighth grade, and I was like, I can see how that has impacted my sexual life. Um, I I find those questions always really hard to answer because I feel like I don't I don't idealize or look up to people in those ways. I'm like I look at little bits and pieces of every person, and so honestly, whenever a question like Who's your hero? Who's your muse? I always feel like I, I just look at the people that I currently have in my life and I'm like all of all of them, all of you. Hmm. So like every person that I interact with, um, that I consider family, like chosen family, chosen um, sexy family, all of them have some level of inspiration. Like I, you know, my partners right now are inspirational in some way, and like my friends, like you and folks from you know a camp like all of them are are you know inspirational in some way and so i don't have like a particular person which is it sounds like a cop-out but it really is and I just don't like my brain doesn't work that way
0: I guess no no I mean you just named like a whole group of people (laughs) would you say though that maybe one of your erotic muses is glitter
2: oh you know (laughs) I you know you just blew the lids off everything that just happened in my brain because I was thinking of people like who are my people muses and I was like not being polymorphously perverse enough so good job I was like, yeah, maybe I can think of like you know the the waterfalls at Diana's Baths are my erotic yes. muses right now. Yes, and glitter um, and uh, rainbows. Yes, those are probably my erotic
0: muses right now. That's perfect. One of my erotic muses are like amethyst gemstones. So. Mm
2: opals opals and moonstones also yeah
0: see look at you naming all of the amazing things that are your erotic muses that are
2: not people. (laughs) perfect (laughs) that made it so much more expansive
0: i love it um okay a couple more what is one song that gets you in the mood
2: oh my god um It's funny because I'm like I have so many sexy playlists. Oh, I know. I've I've listened to a couple of your sexy playlists.
0: I'm like, damn, they're good. They're really good.
2: Yes. Um, I feel like right now one of the ones that like is so like, yep, that's where I am. I am feeling the sexiness is probably um, "Use You" by Dave Gahan. Ah, mm. uh, so that one. <laughs> that one and uh yeah i'll probably use that one that that's the that's the one that i'm connecting to a partner right now and so like pretty immediately i think of them i think of them doing um their like drag act to that song and it has a pretty intense erotic charge so i'm like yep (laughs)
0: okay all right and last question, what is the best sex advice you've ever been given?
2: The the most personal advice that I think I got and the most relevant one right now was just that I am allowed and that I have permission to to not want to do certain things even if they normally feel good and that my, you know, that I that I am allowed to to interact with sex differently every time. And so to give myself that room and that permission, um, I think has been really important sometimes because I, I think it, it can be easy to forget. If you've you know been in a pattern of sexual interactions with someone or if you've been accustomed to sex in a particular kind of way, we sometimes pressure ourselves into doing certain things that we don't necessarily want to do. So just the advice of give yourself permission to be authentic, give yourself permission to not do something recently has been really helpful, especially when navigating gender stuff. So that's been that's been like, really less about technique, and more about mental health and sex. And that's been really nice.
0: Yes. Oh, I love that. And you just like gave us all a message with that with that last bit. I love it. Thank you so much, Ida, for coming on and talking sex with me. If people want to find more about you, where can they go?
2: Oh, my God. I am upsettingly easy to find on the interwebs. My website is uh, com, and that is the place where I do my blogging and whatnot. I'm also really... Um, easy to find on Twitter. And on Twitter, I'm Neuron Bomb. And I have a Facebook page that people can follow as well. Fantastic. Thanks for talking with me, love. I really appreciate it. Rock and roll. Always a pleasure.
0: So remember how in our conversation, Ida was telling me about how they were going through their old journals and how I said I was terrified to do that because I was super boy crazy and dreaded revisiting these stupid sad memories? And then remember how Ida went on this beautiful spiel about how going through old memories helped them to find compassion and patience for others? And remember how my heart started to soften a little bit at the idea of reading old journals and Ida was like, yes, I want to see all of it. Well, this is for you, Ida. Oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm about to do this. (laughs) Oh, okay. February 29th, 2000. I am mad at my parents tonight. They don't give me freedom to do things. I really like this boy, Tim, and I think he likes me, but my parents won't let me ask him out because they say it's not a woman's job. They also won't let me because I am too young to be thinking about love. But my heart yearns for Tim Burns. I wish I could hold his hand and fall asleep in his arms. But my fantasies will never come true, for my parents don't want me to grow up. They have to realize they can't let me be the same old girl always and be a loner, and I will never stay their baby. I have to let stuff happen so I can learn from it. I talked to my dad about it, and I think he was about to consider, but then I guess he didn't want to let me go so soon. We aren't going to kiss or hold hands, even though that would be something. I wish I knew him more enough for him to ask me out. End. March 15th, 2000. I haven't written in many days. Things have been busy here. Spring break is soon. Actually on Friday. Two weeks off of school. I can't wait. I don't think we will be doing anything special though. We are going to a party Saturday. It should be fun. My cousin is turning one years old. It will have a bounce house and everything. I hope cute guys will be there. I haven't seen Tim lately. I miss him. End. March 21st, 2000. Still no sign of Tim. End. March 28th, 2000. My mom said I can get Tim's Phone number. I wonder if he'll call me. Probably not. I don't think he likes me like I like him, though. Darn. I was hoping he would, but you never know. I haven't seen him in five Tuesdays. I hope he wasn't scared about the letter I wrote him. Was that a mistake? March 29th, 2000. Oh, you will never guess what. Cameron asked me out. What did I say? Yes, of course. I am so happy. End. April 3rd, 2000. Haven't written in a while. I'm not so excited about Cameron asking me out. Mommy says since he lives thousands of miles away, he could easily play me. Did I mention he lives in Kentucky? I was kind of worried at this, so I emailed him. He hasn't emailed me since Saturday. Do you think he does like me? I still want to go out with Tim, but I am not so sure with Cam. End. April 19th, 2000. Yay, I got my gel pen working. I am so happy now. I dumped Cam. I had to. I didn't like him and he sounded nerdy on the phone. Now Tim sounds really sexy on the phone. I am in love. September 12th, 2000. The frustration is building up in my head, so I thought to write you. I cannot imagine being an only child with my parents. All they do is make me upset. Take boys, for instance. They won't let me call them. Understood. But it's my birthday this Friday, and all I requested was a simple two calls for two boys. Apparently, they don't trust me, because they will not allow me to call Tim. I miss him so much. They don't understand how much. All I want to do is just call him. I guess if I call him, it would be like him and I talking about sex. You know, phone sex. But that isn't the case. I am probably the only girl in my school who has never had a boyfriend. Cam and Bryce don't count. I hate that I can't call boys. I hate that I am now almost 13 and nothing has changed. They're so overprotective. I can't stand it. Oh my gosh. I Ah, <laughs> oh, this is crazy. Reading these these journals. I Ida, do you see why I didn't want to do this? <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Sexually Liberated Woman podcast. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, share it with a friend or guess what? You can now leave a review on iTunes. That's right. The Sexually Liberated Woman podcast is finally officially on iTunes. And now you can subscribe so you never miss an episode. Just search Sexually Liberated Woman in iTunes and hit the subscribe button. And if you've been listening for a while and have been loving what you're hearing, I would really appreciate it if you left me a five-star review. Leaving reviews helps others find the podcast, but also helps others find sexual liberation, which is a win-win, I think. As for me, Evian, you can find me on my blog, sexloveliberation.com, where I write essays about sex, sensuality, and erotic power. I'm also on Instagram at Evian.Whitney, that's E-V-Y-A-N, period, W-H-I-T-N-E-Y, where I'm capturing moments of brazen femininity and sexuality throughout the day. And if you want to be a sexually liberated woman, go to sexloveliberation.com S-L-W, and maybe I'll be chatting with you about your journey of erotic empowerment someday. See you in the next episode.